For salad, the guy just eats croutons. That's it. Okay, that's not true. That's a lie. That is factually inaccurate. I eat croutons okay. with ranch dressing. Welcome back to Royals Weekly. I am your host, Marcus Mead, and joining me as always, a man of virtually no distinction, my brother, Mike. Sometimes I forget who I am myself. So Yeah. And the odd thing is people often confuse you for someone else. So, know. you know, it's one of those and, things. And it isn't always you. That's the no, messed up thing. No, like, it uh, happens to me two or three times a year. People are like, you're my friend, Dave. I just look like everybody is the always problem. a it's Dave. Not that the I'm, guy's yeah. name is yeah. always Dave. He's always Dave. Yeah. And I'm like, yeah, I'm not Dave. I'm just happen to be average height, average weight, average everything. So, well, maybe not average weight. Well, we're, we're not going to, we're not going to claim that slightly moment, more bulky than yeah, average weight, <laughs> yeah, but I'm in America. So, you know, that that's average, that's normal too, right. To yeah. be overweight. And so anyway, on this episode, we'll review a rough week for the Royals, answer some listener questions and preview the upcoming series against the twins and Mariners. But before all that, we have a couple of new reviews from two magnificent listeners, two wonderful people, two people who I believe get to cut to the front of the line when they're headed into heaven, two weekly weirdos. Yay. <laughs> be like these two fine upstanding citizens go out there subscribe rate and review i hear that doing so makes you more physically attractive so if you give us a review odds are you're probably going to land a very pretty significant other okay but anyway to get started with these reviews i'm going to start with one from somebody calling themselves mr madcap 34 who gave us a review on apple Podcasts? a nice five-star review it says great or actually great royals podcast with insightful news and analysis for the team and a great job of keeping it light and fun along the way. Keep it up light and fun. Is there another way to do this? Well, who would, who would not have fun when they're doing this? It's just, I, I don't understand. Some it. of the ones I listen to doesn't really sound like they're having fun. <laughs> I, I just need content. Yeah. I still yeah. listen to them. Yeah. So, but we like to keep it fun. If we're not joking around, what are we doing here? Uh, my favorite, my favorite review maybe that we've ever got was from this other person. It was on uh, Podbean that they, they actually uh, reviewed, or gave a comment to one of our previous episodes and I went back and I saw it. And so I wanted to get theirs on here. It's just so perfectly a review for this podcast. It says, and it's from somebody, this might be a bot, by the way, this might yeah. just be a bot. Cause I can't uh, pronounce this name at all. I wanted yeah, to see I you can't, try and it's, do it. It's, it's not a name. It's just like M S Y E X. It's something like that. But like, so it might be a bot, but I hope it's not. I desperately hope it's not a bot because I love this review. And maybe that's the whole point of the bot. It's supposed to make you it's designed for people just like me, but it says the review says, I hate podcasts, but you guys are okay. <laughs> <laughs> just okay. Just okay. Yeah. yeah we're we're okay. It, we made it, mom. <laughs> we made it. We made it. Right. Well, here's the thing. We have slightly amused somebody who truly hates podcasts. That's what I, that's what I find amusing. It's like, I hate them but you're all right, right? Like, <laughs> for some reason I'm listening to them to see if but any of them are reason, good. I can tolerate this one. Right. So <laughs> I I'm hoping that this is an actual person and not a bot, but if it is a bot, I'm, I'm still going to pretend it's an actual person. We'll start our review of last week by talking about roster news. There's not a ton to start the year, but we did get a little bit of roster news at the beginning of the week when the Royals sent down Jackson Coar to AAA and reactivated Joel Piomps from the family medical leave list. Kowar sent down after a really rough performance last Sunday. I think he's made one start in AAA so far. That was pretty rough too, but he's going to work on things in AAA while Piomps has made, I think, one appearance since he came back yeah, I think so. and looked okay. 
Other than that, really no roster news for the Royals. They did let go of Daniel Tillo. We already mentioned that last week, but they have now completely waived him. He he was a free agent and he's now signed with the San Francisco Giants. And so he's no longer with the with the Royals. We we hope and wish the best for him. But uh, th- that's really all that was going on roster wise this week. On the field, the Royals went one and four. Not ideal. No. That brings their overall record to three and five. That's not terrible. You know, we kind of expected bad. slow starts from them. It's not great. <laughs> But how they looked is really what's troubling most people. There have been a couple. There were a couple of rainouts this week. There was one today. I was supposed to go to the game today, so of course it got rained out. Uh, this week was sort of defined by the early struggles of the young pitchers. The early in the week, we saw some struggles from Carlos Hernandez and Daniel Lynch, and then later in the week, it became clear that the Royals' offense was the thing kind of holding them back in that moment. We got some good starts from Granke, Keller, a decent one from Bubich, and yet the offense was struggling to score runs, to, to get runs across, to hit for power, especially, I think. Mike, what did you think of the week this week in terms of play on the field? Poop emoji with a small <laughs> ray of hope was what I put on the rundown here. Uh, yeah, it's it's bad because we saw that string of bad starting pitching uh, last week, and then you start to get a, maybe a little bit of hope there. Keller goes again and does really, really well. That's yeah. maybe the best start I've ever seen from him, honestly. What and, about the first one? That one was really good, too. Yeah, but, I mean, the way that he was cruising in that one, it was he was real. He what, I think like he, reti- he, reti- he retired like the first 10 hitters or something yeah, like that. Yeah, it was really, really good. And then you can't hit it all. And, like, I think you said it today – on Twitter, we got three guys hitting right now. That's pretty much it. And if you got three hitting and six not, you're going to struggle offensively. And so, and, and it, I guess when you do that, you kind of want to be in a place where you're playing 500 baseball because you're kind of scrapping runs across because you're you maybe giving up two or three a game, but you're finding a way to get two or three or sometimes that fourth run to put you over the top. We're not doing that even uh, because – Honestly, for us, two of the guys for us that are hitting can't put the ball out, really. So it's like, okay, what are you going to (laughs) do? Yeah, they're not really scrapping runs across. They're not situational hitting well either. It's not like, oh, they're not hitting for power, but, you know, they're doing the little things. They're getting runners over. They're they're scoring guys with less than two outs from third. They're not doing any of it. They're definitely not doing that. They're not doing that at all. I mean, so many situations so far, and I try and mark them all on Twitter. So follow us at Royals Weekly on Twitter. I try and mark every time the Royals get two guys on and nobody out. They never score. Like they just never score when they get into that situation. And it's like the, the run expectancy when you have two guys on and nobody out, it's pretty high. You're expected to score at least our run. They don't get any. And yeah, the thing that kills reason, me is less than two outs. A lot. Yeah. Less than two outs and, and a guy on third. We just haven't been scoring that guy. And it's like, that kills me when you're, you know, if, if you're in a spot offensively and you're ja- and everybody's hitting your jack and home runs, that kind of goes away a little bit. You don't notice it, but when you're in the place the Royals are right now, it's killer, man. And uh, yeah, it, it exemplified Bobby Wood Jr. Hit a triple the other day and was standing on third base with one out. I think, I think with one out, yeah. didn't score him. Like, no, uh, we, you know, we yeah. got thrown out of the plate on a, on a freaking, uh, yeah. Check swing. I got, I got put yeah. in the play. Yeah. He, yeah. The Royals are, they're just not making great decisions overall, including the coaching staff. So that contact play should have never been put on. Um, but it's just one of those things where, because they're all sort of trying to score so much because they're pressing, because the bats aren't swinging, things just aren't going their way, not on the bases, not in situational play. It's just not going their way. So we did have some strong performances though. We have had that this week, even though, 
not everybody's hitting, not everybody's pitching really well. We have had a couple of standout performers. Mike, I know you wanted to talk a little about Hunter Dozier, who is having a really good season so far. Yeah, and you and I had set an OPS of 750 as like the threshold for our over-under for him. And he's he's at an OPS of about 800 right now. So that's – if you remember, he's going to have to be a guy that does something like that to really give you value because he gives you no defensive value. He plays DH a lot. If he is in the field, he's a defensive liability. On the base paths, he's not really great either. And so uh, – but he was really hitting the ball. He looks like the Hunter Dozier that they signed to that bigger contract. Uh, five for 16 with a game running, winning home run on Saturday. Uh, he has a triple this week as well, only two strikeouts. And so he's really putting the ball in play and uh, he's doing it at a pretty hard rate. He did get thrown out at home on Saturday as well, but I'm not blaming him for that because no. the third base coach didn't stop him when he should have. I have no clue. by a long way. Uh, oh, it wasn't, it wasn't close. Oh, the catcher should have walked halfway down the line to tag him. Like it's almost <laughs> like he, he was standing there with T service around him, waiting for Hunter Dozier to get to home plate. It was nuts. You never seen somebody out by so much. And the second I see him turn third in that but game, no! I'm like, he's going home. <laughs> Who is telling him to go home? Does he know he's very slow? Do they know he's very slow? Apparently not, uh, because. Yeah, he got hosed by a mile, but he has hit the ball really well this week. And there were a lot of people who drank the Kool-Aid on Hunter Dozier again this spring. I typically don't, but I took a little sip of it this spring, you'll remember. I I mentioned, I I like the way he's hitting in spring. I like how he's taking what he's getting and that sort of thing. If he stays healthy, I think he might bounce back. I'm looking pretty good in that prediction so far. And I think we both took the over on that 750 OPS. I think mine was just under, I think. I predicted he'd be just under it. I took but, the yeah. over, I think, on the 750 OPS, and, and that's looking good. I think if he stays healthy, that's at least somebody who's hitting in the lineup right now. There's another guy who's hitting in the lineup. There are only a few, and so we're going to talk about two of them. Andrew Benintendi is also hitting, which is really good to see. He was 6 for 18 this week with a home run, three RBIs, three walks, and only two strikeouts. Really carrying the offense right now, hitting in the three-hole. All Benintendi is really doing is upping his trade value in my mind. And so I'm like, have a great first half. Go off, Benintendi. Like, let's let's see more of it. Love it. He's actually playing really good defense, I think, in left field, too. You know, he's and let's you be know. let's be uh, open and honest here. You and I are not fans of him defensively. Not, not defensively. Of, sorry. We're not fans of the fact that he won a gold glove. Right, right. Um, I think he's average defensively, maybe slightly above average. It's the arm that's the liability. And yeah, he hasn't been asked really to throw weird. anybody out. He's really just but he's tra- he tracks the ball really well. He tracks the ball pretty well. He's not overly fast, but he tracks no. the ball pretty well in left field. And he's made some decent plays in left field so far this season, hitting the ball really well at the plate, getting lucky occasionally too. He's getting, he's getting some good fortune thrown in. He hit a, I don't know how to describe it. I've never seen anything like it. Kind of Oh, the like, one that, that little check yeah. swing to third. It wasn't they had a, a shift on. It wasn't a check swing. It was a full swing. It was like they had a shift uh, on. You can't. He swings full, full swing. and bloops it, and it looks like it might be one that would like bloop over third, but it didn't even get hit that far. It blooped right where the third baseman would just sort of catch it, but there was no third baseman there because they were all shifted on him. He gets essentially an infield single that was also a fly ball. Very weird. Very weird play. But hey, when when you're hot, you're hot. When it's going well, everything's going well. And so Andrew Benintendi doing a good job so far this year. Hopefully he keeps it up, accrues a lot of value, and they can trade him for something valuable midway through the season. In case you're curious about the other hot hitter, it's Nicky Lopez. After that, it's that's the three. Yeah, you might you might be like, well, you said there were three. Yes, there are three. Hunter, that's the third one. Andrew Benintendi and Nicky Lopez are hitting. We talked about Nicky last week, so we can't we can't be all week. The rest of the team not really hitting. Mike, tell us about somebody who is not hitting for this team. 
I got to say this because even though I love him and I think he's going to be great and I think he's still going to be great. I, I put on the rundown, Bobby badminton because, because <laughs> Bobby baseball just ain't quite it right now. He's a racket uh, to hit some of these ones. He's swinging. Right. Right. I'll tell you that right. Uh, six or sorry, three for 20 with, and here's the problem with 10 strikeouts just this week. Um, so he's, he's, he's swinging it way too much that, that slider down and away. And, and, you know, it's weird because early in at bats, sometimes he'll lay off them and pitchers are staying with it and he's swinging later in at bats, or sometimes he gets up there and you can just see the frustration, three strikes, three swings, he's out, you know, and it's, it's hard to see there. Only one walk. He did hit a triple this week, which was cool to the opposite field, but so far this year, a 463 OPS struggling to adjust, but I think he will. I'm not worried about him. And the, the other good thing he's done really well in the field, including this week. Uh, he made some plays defensively to uh, help out. So the Royals defense overall has been been very good. So he'll he'll heat up. I'm not worried. Yeah, interestingly, I think Royals Farm Report put out a, tw- a tweet talking about how like the difference between AAA pitchers and major league pitchers is that major league pitchers will go back to that slider or that breaking ball that they missed away with. They'll go back to it again. And he's not expecting that. He expects somebody, if they miss with a breaking ball, to go back to the fastball, and he wants to feast on those fastballs. Well, now you're going to see slider away, and when you spit on it, they're going to throw you another slider away because they know that they're just waiting for you to you know, jump out of your shoes to swing at it. Well, he's jumping out of his shoes to swing at it, and it's causing 10Ks in a week. you know. And so eventually he'll learn. Eventually he'll learn that at the major league level, it doesn't matter what the count is. They're going to throw you breaking balls until you show them that you can lay off them or hit them. And so he needs to lay off them because not all of them are for strikes. He's having some trouble hitting breaking balls in the zone, but that triple he hit was on a slider middle, middle. He just saw it deep, recognized it, hit it the other way. It was a great piece of hitting, but he needs to sort of lay off those, those breaking balls outside the zone and really lay off those fastballs way in. Cause that's the book on him right now. You throw him hard in and you throw him soft away and he's swinging out of his shoes most of the time. So uh, hopefully he starts turning it around, starts recognizing pitches a little bit better and starts spitting on them when he needs to. And a guy who has enough experience to really be doing that with Merrifield is also struggling and struggled this week. Uh, he was four for 21 this week. He didn't have any extra base hits, one walk and one strikeout. His season on base percentage is 227. That's our leadoff hitter. Leadoff hitter hitting uh, with an on base of 227. That is not going well. People are wondering, Merrifield, he's in an age decline, that sort of thing. I don't know. I think he probably is in an age decline, but I'm hoping that this season is somehow he shows out and like regains some value and they can trade him. But right now it's not looking great for Merrifield at the in the in the batter's box. He's playing well in the outfield, which is good, but in the batter's box, he's really struggling. Yeah, and, and that's why a lot of people questioned him being a leadoff guy, even when he was doing you know, leading the league in hits and things like that, because he was never the kind of guy that was going to be all that selective at the plate. He just wasn't. He swings at a lot of pitches. He doesn't, you know, he'll take a walk occasionally, but he's, he's a swinger. And so when you're age declining or even in a slump like this, it looks really bad because you're not consistently getting on base because you're still swinging at everything. And so he likes to, he likes to swing. And, uh, you know, he's never even been a guy that takes a lot of pitches in an at-bat. And so it's really showing out now. Hopefully he turns that around because if he can do that and start to be that guy and Benintendi stays hot, you're going to, we have the possibility of scoring some early cheap runs with him, Bobby Witt Jr. being able to get on base and wreak havoc on the base paths uh, and possibly score a run or two early. I know that sounds crazy, 
Yeah, I know. A that's run, that's a, great. A run or two early Pulling on. a few runs. That's, that's just that's everybody nuts. temper those expectations. But um, yeah, you're right. And the thing about Merrifield is he doesn't strike out a lot either because he can make contact with all these pitches on the edge of the zone or just outside the zone and put them in play. But he's not always putting those in play hard or at the right launch angles. So he just needs to develop a little bit more selectivity, start making some solid contact on those pitches that he can do damage on and start getting on base more. Cause he's never going to walk a bunch, but a few well-placed hits and he'll get on base as he needs to. That brings us to the themes for this week. Looking back on this entire week, you could come up with many different themes, but the one that sort of emerged for me has nothing to do with how the Royals played necessarily. It's what the hell are they doing with Kyle Isbell? I was the one who was stoked at the fact that Kyle Isbell made the team, assuming that what they were going to do is rotate him in to make sure that he got plate appearances so that he could continue to develop. That is, he has not started a single game yet. They have played eight games. He hasn't started one of them. He has one pinch hit plate appearance and that's it. And so I don't know what the hell they're doing with Kyle Isbell, but it's not good. He needs to be playing. And he, they're not playing him despite the fact that Michael A. Taylor's hitting like 240. Whit Merrifield's hitting like 217. Whit Merrifield's hitting like two or like 190. You know, it's not like nobody could use a day off. Modesty is hitting like, you know, 150. We could easily move Lopez to short, bring Whit down and play him in right field. There are lots of ways in which Isbell could be getting plate appearances, but just isn't. And I'm not sure why. It's a bad idea in my mind, but they don't pay me Mike Matheny money to make terrible decisions. So. Yeah, and you could throw Brady Singer's name in there too. How's he getting any better sitting out in the fucking bullpen? He has know? been. He hasn't pitched in a week. <laughs> yeah. He's pitched once this year. He hasn't pitched in over. It'll be over a week by the time he gets to pitch again. Yeah, so that's that's odd to me. Uh, my theme of the week is cold. The bats went cold. It's cold in Kansas City right now. I want it to get warm again. All right, metaphorically, the Royals to get warm again, and the weather to get warm again, and also literally, and literally. Okay. <laughs> Yeah, it, it got cold. We came up from Arizona. We're hitting the crap out of the ball. Came into the cold weather. Can't hit a lick. And that's classic Royals. I mean, this is something that happens to them virtually every year. Sometimes, like last season, they'll still find ways to scrap runs here and there. But this year, they're just they're they're cold, totally cold, totally lost at the plate. A lot of them swinging and flailing. That said, I'm convinced that Salvador Perez won't hit this bat all year. Whit Merrifield won't hit this bat all year. Bobby Witt Jr. won't hit this bat all year. So eventually the offense will start to turn it around. The question is how many losses do they have to go through before that happens? If you like what you're hearing, please make sure to subscribe, rate, and review us on whatever platform you use. Subscribing, rating, and reviewing helps people find the show and helps us build a larger community. If you leave us a five-star rating and good review, we'll make sure to give you a shout out and read a snippet of your review on the next show. Also, follow us on Twitter and Facebook at Royals Weekly. We're constantly posting new analysis and commentary, so check that out. We decided to hand this week's spotlight segment over to the people, the weekly weirdos, and they did not disappoint. It's a mailbag, people, and we've got a whole bunch of great questions from listeners just like yourself. As a reminder, you're always welcome to send us questions on Twitter or Facebook at Royals Weekly, and we'll do our best to answer them on the show once they're submitted. You can also email us at royalsweeklypod at gmail.com, but we have a lot of questions to get to, so let's get started. Our first question comes from one of our favorite Twitter followers, Rupert. He asks, if the losing continues, what changes do you see happening? Who survives and who doesn't? Mike, what do you got? Well, I think the easy answer here is Cal Eldred probably doesn't survive if the losing continues, and he probably shouldn't. Trade deadline will be very interesting if that's the case. Because I, there's no real reason I don't think to hand on or hang on to Andrew Benintendi. Carlos Santana is a, a must go. 
at this point. You know, there might be some interesting ones. I might talk about those a little bit later, but, you know, I think most of these people survive because you've got such a young team and you're really relying on a core of young talent. Um, but there are some obvious ones, the Carlos Santana's, the uh, Benintendi's, possibly Whit Merrifield could be kind of the, the curveball that you see there. Maybe uh, if he starts hitting a little bit more, he'll have some value that you can trade away. But um, no, I'm not seeing a whole lot of craziness coming out of the trade deadline either. Uh, but Cal Eldred, I think we've made clear thing. We think he has to go. There's some people who talk about possibly Dayton Moore going. I don't think that happens. I think them promoting him actually shields him from that happening. But yeah, I wouldn't expect Dayton Moore to get to get the axe. Mike Matheny either. Honestly, I don't see a ton of changes happening at all, even if the losing continues. At some point, Prado, Melendez, Pasquantino, and those those guys, they'll come up at some point, but there aren't many changes to make, really, that we don't expect. I mean, Santana, that'll happen eventually. Benintendi might get moved. He should get moved. He's in the last year of his deal, and if they're not contending, move him. Granky, maybe. He's on a one-year deal. A, a yeah. contending team could probably use him. But really, there's just not a ton of guys. You know, there's some outside the box, you know, people we could choose. Maybe Monda, see if he kind of turns it on. Maybe you could get rid of him and get some value back. You do have a replacement in Bobby Wood Jr. or Nicky Lopez at short. You know, there are some guys we could think about moving, but it's just not really a, I don't think they're going to be wholesale changes just because they're losing. <laughs> that sounds so weird to say. <laughs> there's some, there's some organizations who would never, you would never think this about, right? Like, but the Royals are like, it doesn't matter if they're losing, they're sticking with what they got. Yeah. Um, and so th- they, they are, they're a young team. They're supposed to be building around this young core and they've dedicated themselves to this path. And so there really is no changing course at this point. You're, it's either going to succeed or it's not. We're not going to know if it's going to succeed, not just the end of this year, but maybe the end of next year. If they're not even close to competing at the end of next year, then maybe something drastic happens. Then maybe Dayton Moore's job is in jeopardy. But you know, at the end of this year or even halfway through this year, they're still not going to be to the point where they're like, we need to trade away our whole young pitching core and just start all over. They're not doing that. They're not, they're not you know, saying like, let's start rushing up Asa Lacey or Jonathan. They're not doing that either. Uh, what they're going to do is they're going to stay the course, right? What does Dayton Moore always say? Trust the process, right? And so that's where we're at. And that's probably what's going to happen. Our next question comes from Sean Kernick on Twitter, who asks, do you think the Royals have pitching in the prospect pipeline to match all the hitting making its way to KC? Why is it the last two starters the Royals developed are Duffy and Granke? Well, I will, I will point out that actually we, we should probably count Jordano Ventura as a developed pitcher. Uh, he didn't get to fill, fulfill his full potential. Sadly, he passed away. But yeah, I, the real answer to this is the obvious one, right? Which is bad pitching development. It is sort of universally understood that the Royals had or had, it's hard to say, bad pitching development, especially throughout the minor leagues. Where we can talk about Cal Eldred and the major league pitching coach, but that's not the same thing as developing pitchers. Those That, that job is for someone else. That's the minor league system and things like that. Recently, they hired a new set of people to head up their pitching development. Alec Lewis has been like hyping these guys a bunch. Alex Duvall, I know, is a fan of sort of their approach and the things that they're saying. I am very skeptical, but we'll see. You know, up to this point, it's been pretty much bad pitching development. They do have pitchers coming in the pipeline. There's Jonathan Bolin, there's Drew Parrish, there's Austin Cox, there's Alec John Marsh. Heasley, there's Alec Marsh, who had a great start in AA the other day. Asa Lacey's had a couple of good starts. They have pitchers coming. The question is, are they going to be any different than the pitchers who came before them? 
Yeah. And uh, I will agree as well. I'm, I'm obviously still skeptical. I'll flat out come out and say the Royals haven't been able to develop pitching, period. You might say, oh, well, Danny Duffy was a, a developed pitcher. Yeah, he was a, a solid guy for us. But when was the last time the Royals developed? Well, Granky is the last time the Royals developed a guy that the league universally saw as a good pitcher, right? The league overall, everybody knew Zach Granky was a good pitcher, uh, won a Cy Young Award. Where where has that ever been? And it, there have been times when the farm system, pitching in the farm system has been recognized as being very good, but it just it hasn't materialized at the higher levels like you would like to see. I'm hopeful that those changes have taken place. The piece that Alec Lewis did on the ch- sort of changes made in Royals pitching development was encouraging, but again, until you see the actual outcomes, you know, and Carlos Santana and a pitcher like, not Carlos Santana, Carlos Hernandez and a pitcher like Carlos Hernandez is always the one that I kind of look at and say, okay, teams that develop pitchers get something out of a guy like him. Now he's probably past that, but if you go down to the minors and you find a guy like that and you go, okay, he has too good of stuff to get nothing from this guy but he's the kind of guy that the Royals sometimes have traditionally got nothing from, you know, or they'll bail to the bullpen thing. Like Luke, like the Luke Hochaver thing. It's like, Oh, well, we got something out of Luke Hochaver. No, no, you can't take a guy number one overall. And, and that be the, the, a win, you know, you lost, if you made him a, an average reliever in the major league, you lost that, you know? And so you have to be able to turn guys like that into something. You have to have Jonathan Boland turn into a, a contributing pitcher in, in your rotation. You have to have Will Klein turn into a bullpen guy you can rely on. You have to have Alec Marsh turn into somebody, you know, these guys are guys that, you know, you're not going to hit on every single one of them, but if you have your top five starting pieces in the minor leagues, good teams will have three guys that come out of that and are in your rotation. Yeah. And that's where it's really a numbers game. So we talk about how like, well, yeah, pitching development is a game of attrition. You, you know, you draft 10 guys, you're going to get only so many who succeed. And here's the thing. That's why the it's Royals hard to just tell. haven't gotten any. That's yeah. The, that's, problem. <laughs> the thing is they need, they always say like, oh, you need to draft 10 pitchers for every one who's going to make it. The Royals have to draft 30 for every one who's going to make it is the problem. And so we'll see if this new pitching regime is sort of getting them on the right track and and moving things in the right direction. I've watched a lot of the minor league pitching up to this point. It's still too early to tell, but it hasn't looked phenomenal. I mean, Alec Marsh did look amazing in his start the other night. Asa Lacey, I think has looked very promising and pretty good, but you know, it's been spot here and there. It hasn't been anything so super out of this world. I'm like, Oh, this pitching looks different now. It doesn't, it looks roughly the same as it has in the past. And so we'll see if ultimately these changes end up making the next wave of Royals pitchers a little bit more ready to compete at the major league level than this group has been since they, they started. The next question comes from Lucas Murphy, one of the co-hosts of the Royals rundown podcast and a, and a really fun follow on Twitter. He asks, if you could make a realistic trade to help this ball club out, who are you trading for and giving up? And are there any corresponding moves such as a promotion? Mike, what are your uh, thoughts? Trades? Well, yeah, it's hard for me to say a specific guy. I'm going to give you one, but I don't know that he necessarily fits the criteria that I'm going to talk about. If you're trading for anybody, it's probably a young controllable starting pitcher that has some proven success at the major league level. You know, we, we we're talking about Frankie Montas. He only has two years of control left, maybe something like that. Uh, the other place you might go is uh, center field. We have Lofton in the minors and he seems to be doing okay in the outfield. Uh, with that kind of transition that they're trying to make, but it's still really shallow in the center field 
pool for Kansas City. So that might be something. The one guy that I kind of looked at was John Means from Baltimore. You know, he's youngish. You know, I think, I think he's maybe in his almost 30 or just over 30. I can't remember. Um, but he's a solid guy. Uh, maybe you could get a guy like that. Guys that you might look to trade. Uh, Wit is kind of the, the one that has maybe enough value to get any sort of return. Uh, but obviously the ones that are easy, we already talked about. Yeah, I don't know. I It's hard to say, hey, these are the guys that I would give up because the pieces that you have that might be valuable haven't proven it at the major league level. Uh, the guys that you have at the major league level, the Royals aren't going to trade. I brought up, what about Salvador Perez? He's got some value. This this organization won't, won't trade him, but the good organizations would say at this point, all things on the table. If, if you have value and aren't going to be here the next time we're going to be good, you're tradable, but the Royals aren't like that. Yeah, I don't really have an answer for this question at this point. It's it's so early in the year. It's hard to know sort of who needs to be moved, what what would need to be need what, what's needed, right? And so I think there are some obvious ones. Obviously, you need to get rid of Santana. You probably need to move Wit if that becomes available. I, if he's playing well enough and there are takers out there, and then maybe you need to try and add a starter. But frankly, if Lynch and Hernandez and Bubich are all showing that they're capable as starters, you're probably not going to try and load up the rotation with guys when you want those guys getting starts. Same with Singer. If he starts showing that he has his changeup is working and his fastball commands back, it's just too hard to know how the rest of the season is going to play out before the trade deadline to say, here's what they need to be trading for. And here's what they need to be looking to move. That being said, we can point to the, to the areas of deficiency, like Mike has starter center field, things like that. But the Royals are such a non-transactional team and they're so dedicated to building from the young core that I think that they're probably not going to be interested in making big, interesting trades. What I think they're interested in more is moving on from guys. That's what they really need to be looking to. What can we get for Benintendi, for Santana, for Witt, you know, for maybe some of these other guys, what can we get for them as we sort of try and add supplemental pieces moving forward and then hope that that young core is actually taking us somewhere in the next year or two. Yeah. I think the, the, the very obvious thing to say is like center field is shallow, no matter what they could use a center fielder at the minor league level, just to add depth to that position. So that's what I would say. If, if they're going to move somebody on, when you move those guys that are very obvious, they have to be looking for to add or looking to add depth at center field. If they don't think Kyle Isbell can play center. The next question comes from Bobby dubs, junior season on Twitter. Cool yeah, name. That's all. That's all caps. Yeah, it is a cool name. Bobby <laughs> dubs, junior season. The question is, if Benintendi keeps rolling, is he someone you try to trade to make room for a younger guy, assuming no extension is planned? What's the best case scenario for the return? Do you try and trade Benintendi? Absolutely. Whether he's rolling or not, doesn't matter. You trade him anyway. Why? Because you're getting nothing for him at the end of the year, so you might as well trade him. And so, yes, I don't think an extension is in the works, mostly because, as I described to somebody on Twitter the other day, if he plays well enough, the Royals can't afford him. If he doesn't play well enough, why would you want to extend him? And so it really doesn't make a ton of sense to keep Benintendi around in my mind, unless I, there's just no reason why he would want to stay in my mind. And so, yeah, they need to be looking to trade him. What's a reasonable return? I think that maybe they could get a decent lower level center field prospect and maybe a relief prospect. It's not going to be anything, nothing that even comes close to sniffing the top 100. Uh, we're talking like maybe 10 to 15 in a, in a team system. They'll be looking to play in there for the, for the centerpiece of the trade, but yeah, maybe you could get a decent lower level center field prospect than a relief prospect. Yeah, I agree. You have to trade him. Uh, my maybe look for is 
a lottery ticket style starting pitcher in the lower levels of the minors. You're he doesn't hit for a lot of power as a left fielder. So you're not going to be able to get a large value from him. But if you can maybe find a starter that is a lottery ticket at the lower levels who turns into maybe, and you see these guys turn into the, the Carlos Hernandez style of guys. Maybe you find somebody who needs to work on his command a little bit, or you find somebody who's been hurt in the lower level of the minors, but has a lot of potential. That's somewhere that you might go. If you still feel like you need that in, in the minors. Yeah. The thing is Benintendi is good, not great. And he only has half a season of control. He's a rental. And so you're not getting anything where you're like, Ooh, I'm excited about this prospect. It's going to be somebody you're either going to have to wait on a long time, or you're just sort of hoping and dreaming on, or somebody who's a real supplemental piece, like a relief prospect. Next, we got a question from Kevin O'Brien of Royals Reporter, also on Twitter. Why do you think Kowar has struggled at the major league level, but not at the minors? Is it mental, better hitters and tighter strike zones, or just poor coaching at the major league level? Well, I think a lot of all of that is true. Like you could combine those things together to see the struggles of Kowar. But I want to talk about something that we haven't really discussed here, and it has to do with what we were talking about earlier. That's organizational development of pitchers. I think it has a little bit to do with how have we prepared him to be in the majors? Have we looked at his stuff and the things that are happening? And I'm talking about some advanced metrics type stuff and some, some pitching data stuff and said, wait, this is the kind of stuff that'll get minor leaguers out, but will not get major leaguers out. So you're not moving up until we make those changes, even though it looks like you're having success at the minor league level. And I don't know that the Royals do that very effectively. They really don't with pitchers or hitters. They're bad at like setting benchmarks that have nothing to do with whether or not you're quote unquote successful at a minor league level, which is really how they should do it, right? They should say your strikeout rate needs to be under 25 before you move up, right? Otherwise we're not, we're not moving you up because it doesn't matter that you're crushing. It doesn't matter that you're successful against double a pitchers, whatever. I don't care. Like we know, we know that as you move forward, strikeouts are going to be a problem. So you work on having better at-bats and, and, and striking out less. It's stuff like that. And the same is true for pitchers and for Kowar. I think you're 100% right that he needed to learn how to have better command with his fastball than he has. He needed to learn how to have better command with the secondary stuff. They need to be working on a different pitch mix with him in the minor leagues, all those sorts of things, mechanical things too. And they just weren't doing it. And that's a problem. Yeah. And so for an example with Kowar, like you're saying, you tell him we aren't moving you up until we see you throw your change up 30% of the time and your fastball less than 50% of the time in a long stretch of games or something like that, because you know, that's what will make him successful at the major league level. Not necessarily. Well, yeah, you can get these double a pitcher, these double a hitters out. You're setting them up. You're preparing them for what's coming, not for what is currently there. Right. When you put 80% of your fastballs in the top third or above, then we'll think about moving you up. Right. Exactly. Stuff like that. And I think, I think another problem kind of with Coar is some ways his deficiencies are tailor-made to be exploited by major league hitters. Right. And so you talk about a guy who has a not great fastball. Well, if it's not commanded, well, it's going to get crushed. Hello, major league hitters who love crushing fastballs. You know, they must just, their eyes must become the size of beach balls when they see him, you know, throw a fastball that is headed right down Broadway because it's so hittable. And so if he's not commanding, he's going to get hit a lot. And when he's coming into the majors, he's losing all of his mechanics, not commanding and, and getting hit a lot. I think a lot of those things are connected. We talk about, is it psychological or is it this? 
the weird thing is the psychological can also impact a lot of these things. So a lot of guys are having problems with anxiety or sometimes they're too amped or whatever. And then that throws off their mechanics. That's happening with Kowar too, right? He's super anxious. He's getting tight. He's trying to control the ball. And of course it goes right down Broadway or way outside the strike zone or whatever. And so a lot of these things are connected to each other, but in some ways he's perfectly designed to, to be crushed by major league hitters when he's not on his game. We're going to end our mailbag section with a little bit of a fun one from uh, Jacob Milham on, on Twitter. Who's also the co-host of Royals rundown with Lucas who asked a question previously. That question was, what do y'all think of the new barbecue Reese's sandwich at Kaufman? Would you try it? If you haven't heard, they've started serving this sandwich at Kaufman. It's like barbecue with, it's like a barbecue sandwich with Reese's peanut butter cups on it. Mike, I'm not sure if we're talking brisket or burn ends here. I can't remember. I can't remember. All I know is the thing has Reese's peanut butter cups on it. Okay. So my answer to this question is why the hell would I pay whatever insane price this thing's cost so I can either puke or shit myself later? Right? Why am I doing that? That is, or both at the same time. Well, I'd be in the bathroom sharfing for the fourth inning. No, thank you. I'll, I'll pass on that um, because I like my money and I like my guts inside my body. First, let's start listeners. Let me just tell you this. For those of you that don't, that don't know my brother personally, he is perhaps the pickiest eater that has ever existed. Mark, tell him, why don't you describe your how wife? You like a, your wife is the pickiest salad. eater who's ever no, existed. No, no, doesn't come close to you. All right. <laughs> For salad, the guy just eats croutons. That's it. Okay, that's not true. That's a lie. That is factually inaccurate. I eat croutons okay. with ranch dressing. Okay. <laughs> Sorry, I forgot the ranch dressing in this complex medley that's of salad. Right, and I actually Don't recently started. Salad this I actually recently eating. started eating some real salad too. Okay, so uh, so boo face, kill it. kill it, fun cop. Nobody wants to hear from you. Um, no, I, of course I would try this thing. Are you it's kidding? It's a me? monstrosity. It's oh. you, but you know the think about the flavors. You know. Think about how many lawsuits this is going to bring about. Good. Put those hands together, baby. Uh, That sounds not bad because, and also the barbecue sauce that I like, I tend to like a little bit of a sweeter barbecue sauce. So if you, and I probably wouldn't put barbecue sauce on it, but because I got the Reese's peanut butter cup already in there, you know, but it sounds delicious to me. I'm not going to lie. Now I wouldn't pay a large amount of money for it because I'm cheap ass, but if somebody's buying it for me, heck yeah, I'll eat that thing. I bet I eat the whole damn thing too. All right. I'll tell you what, any of you weekly weirdos see Mike out at a game, offer to buy him this thing and then take some video of him eating it and send that to me. Cause I'm going to want to see that. We're going to want to put that up somewhere, especially when he starts barfing right afterwards. Okay. Because that's what we're really going to want. Get that in there too. There are six games on the slate for the Royals this week, a three-game set at home against the Twins, followed by a three-gamer in Seattle against a Mariners team that wants to make moves this year. Mike, start off our preview by telling us about our division rival, Minnesota Twins. Well, the Minnesota Twins are three and five this year. I think they got a little bit of a scare on Buxton, an injury scare on Buxton, but I heard it's not major. So yeah, not major. Uh, I think he should be back. Uh, we've got Hernandez going against Chris Archer, 33-year-old right-handed pitcher. Had a lot of success early in his career with the Rays. Has really struggled recently with injuries. He's thrown four and a third in his first and only appearance this year. Uh, zero runs given up, so good for him. His fastball now only sits at about 92, though he was never a real hard thrower. Uh, slider, curveball. He didn't use a changeup in that first start. He used to be quite well-known for his changeup, so we'll see if he's still going to put that in. But he hasn't really pitched much since 2019 because of injury. He had thoracic outlet syndrome in 2020, only pitched uh, 19 innings in 2021. In the second game, we should get Daniel Lynch 
versus Chris Paddock, a 26-year-old right-hander. In his one game starting, he uh, got roughed up a little bit, four innings, three earned runs, six hits. So hopefully we can take advantage of that. He does throw a little harder, a fastball, changeup, curveball, throws his fastball a lot. So if we can get uh, if we can get on that fastball, which is a good one, we should be able to have some success. He's recently traded to the Twins from uh, the Padres. And the last game, we've got uh, Zach Granke against Joe Ryan, a good-looking young right-hander out of California State University. I didn't know that was a thing. Uh, two games so far, and he's pitched really well, 2.7 ERA. Not a hard-throwing uh, righty, but he's got a good mix of slider, change-up, curveball, and a good slider at that, and a good-looking young starter. So it'll be fun to see that against old, reliable Zach Greinke. Yeah, after the Twins, they'll be head out to the West Coast for the Seattle Mariners series. The Mariners are four and five so far this year. We don't have any probables for this series yet, but to know about the Mariners is to know that they think their window is open right now. So they want to compete this year. They they made a push to compete last year. You'll remember they tried to make some moves. They brought up Jared Kelnick and things like that to try and make a push for the wild card. They ended up falling two games short of a wild card spot despite winning 90 games. They won 90 games and did not make the playoffs last year. That's tough. Uh, they did trade for slugger Jesse Winker from the Reds this year. They promoted highly thought of top prospect Julio Rodriguez, and they're excited to see what Jared Kelnick will do in his first full season. He struggled a lot when he first came up to the majors, but started looking pretty good late last year. So we'll see how he looks this year. They also have some established veterans in J.P. Crawford and Ty France. So really a well-rounded lineup. They also went out and signed Robbie Ray this year and already have guys like young pitchers like Logan Gilbert. The guy I'm super excited to see is a young pitcher they just brought up named Matt Brash. Uh, in terms of the metrics that sort of measure stuff and stuff like that, he has the best stuff of anybody in Major League Baseball right now. And so you know, he's only pitched maybe one or two games, but he is like really, really good, has some amazing breaking stuff. And we'll see what Matt Brash has to offer if we end up seeing him in that Mariner series. But a really good team overall, going to try and make a push to the playoffs this year. We'll end this episode the same way we end every episode with our Just a Bit Outside segment, where we talk about something that's interesting to us outside the world of baseball this week. Mike, what has caught your interest outside the world of baseball this week? The Polynesian people. Okay. And so uh, the Makes Polynesian sense. people, yeah, obviously everybody's thinking about this. <laughs> you guys hear about this? Everybody's talking about it. Yes, everybody's talking about it. Everybody's talking about it. This is on everybody's mind. My, my Jay Leno, did you hear this? We heard this. <laughs> uh, Polynesian people, right? So I, I read a book called Sea People. I read it a while ago, but then I just like kind of reread it. And it's such a fascinating history of people because a lot of the people that we think of as Hawaiian and Samoan and uh, Maori these are all fall into a group called the Polynesian people. And from, and they really back in the day when people weren't sailing across oceans, the Polynesian people were, and they sailed to all these remote islands in the Pacific and established kind of small societies. I don't know if you call them full civilizations because they were such small things um, on these different islands throughout the Pacific. So if you've heard of Easter Island, it was the Polynesian people that inhabited Easter Island and New Zealand and Hawaii and the Marquesas Islands and Samoa and all these different islands in the Pacific. And they de- Tahiti, they developed these, these complex societies that are later just discovered by Europeans. And the interactions with those Europeans are very interesting. We're going to, we're going to put discovered in quotes. We're going to put discovered by, in quotes. No, I'm saying these the, the Polynesian people were discovered. You yeah. know, they were yeah. kind of 
bumped into. I don't know what you say. And then, of course, you know, the, the typical thing happened when Europeans met native populations. Um, but bad, bad stuff, bad stuff for, for the Polynesians anyway. But it's it, just a fascinating people. The, the fact that they were able to make these long distance voyages over over water, really interesting stuff. And so that's what kind of been occupying my mind. I think I told you yesterday, you and I watched the game yesterday, uh, some fun facts about New Zealand, hmm. because it's like, it's wild, man. Some of these things are just wild. Uh, so if you get a chance, go check out the book. Actually, it's called uh, Sea People. It's a good one. Um, but if not, just go check out like a short, there's a short documentary on the history of the Polynesian people on YouTube. Check it out. Very interesting. I'm going to talk about something also very interesting, but more infuriating. And that's why it's on my mind. And that is why are taxes so fucking complicated? Okay. Today is tax day and, or I guess tomorrow is tax day, but you know, today I sat down with my partner to try and help her get her taxes figured out because she's been having so much trouble getting them done. And so I'm sitting down trying to figure this person's taxes out and whatever like system we're using is not working very well because she works in one place and lives in another works in one state, works in Kansas, lives in Missouri. And it's just a nightmare it, And because she made some money for as an independent contractor doing this other thing. It's like, it's a nightmare. You cannot navigate this thing. She sent them in today. They got rejected. It's like, <laughs> she can't, she's <laughs> trying to do her taxes and give the IRS money, which is nuts in itself. And they won't even take it. They won't even take her, her thing. You know, like, they're like, oh no, you didn't fill this one. You didn't check this one box. It's like, what, what, how insane is a system that's like, hey, you owe us money. We know how much money that is, but we're not going to tell you. You have to figure it out on your own. But if you're wrong, you're going to jail, right? Like, yeah, we're, we're going to really, really, then we're really ramming you. you. Yeah. We're <laughs> ramming you for like, money and liberty, right? Like it's, it's nuts. It is crazy. And it is crazy. And other people have done like, I've had this thought before. It's not original in any way. John Oliver did a very interesting thing on it once where he talks about, you know, why this is the case. And the truth is it's because of companies like H&R Block founded right here in Kansas city, H&R Block into it. All these companies have lobbied for a very long time to make it so that this has to be the tax system. The IRS can't tell us how much we owe. They, we, they create a system where we need middlemen, where we need people to help us do our taxes. And the compli- more complicated it is, the more money they make. And so it just drives me nuts that this is something I have to spend hours of my life working on. It took me, I, I worked on mine when I did mine for like three hours one day, submitted them, realized I probably messed them up and then just took them to a tax guy because, and I'm going to pay him hundreds of dollars to figure out my taxes from this year. Cause my finances are really complicated this year. And so it's like, why IRS knows how much money I owe them or don't owe them or should be getting back or whatever, you know, like, and so it just drives me nuts that this, if, if you ever needed evidence that like capitalism actually isn't very efficient, the tax system has to be it, right? Like it, it has to be right. And so it's just one of those things that drives me absolutely insane, but uh, you know, I don't get to make the rules. I just have to keep getting screwed by them. Um, and, and don't even look into what some other countries, how easy some of their oh. tax paying processes. I, I read a story about this lady who uh, li- she, she moved back to Wisconsin after living in, I can't remember what country it was in Europe she lived in, but she described like the difference between filing taxes in the United States and the country she had lived in, where like the country she had lived in, she got this postcard that said either, hey, you owe us this much money or, hey, we owe you this much money. And that was it. It was the whole thing. <laughs> it was like, oh my god, uh, that would be so nice. Uh, a match, but here, here, here's the messed up thing. This is a like a market inefficiency 
that is creating an entire new industry, right? So like, because it's so inefficient, there's this huge tax prep industry that's built up because of this inefficiency drives me nuts. And it's like, I think the thing that drives me so nuts is that there are so many people out there who are like, oh, just leave the market free and capitalism. No, clearly that's not the case. Or I wouldn't be doing this shit with my taxes all the time. <laughs> like, I, I hate it. I hate it so yeah, much. If you guys could see market looks, this is as angry as he gets right here. And I don't, I, do, I just don't get, the thing is, the only time I ever get angry is when people try and take other people's voting rights away. That's the thing that really gets me. But like, this is one of those things that just <laughs> will make my blood boil. I will throw a laptop across the room. I am like nuts when it comes to this sort of thing. Uh, but I'm going to breathe. I'm going to breathe a little bit over <laughs> breathe here. Breathe through it, man. Breathe through I'm going to do some breathing. Hopefully hey, I got Royals... to file an amended for last year. Oh. I screwed up mine last year. How about that? I'm just, my tax guy hasn't gotten back to me yet. I'm just waiting for him to either one, tell me that I got to do something additional or some shit like that. You or have to go just... perform for the man, for these people. <laughs> or just abscond with my money and my information. I don't, I don't know exactly. He might just take off. I don't know. <laughs> or maybe, maybe the complexness of it will give him a mental breakdown of some sort because mine are real complex this year and so uh we'll see we'll see what happens i'm gonna breathe through it i'm gonna hope that the royals actually play some games this week despite the fact that it's supposed to rain a bunch royals please help me win help my my mind help my mental health by winning i will breathe through it hopefully everyone else out there is good to each other and mike go royals <laughs>